Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening around the world. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Alexander, and you're listening to a brand new episode of Ivy Exec Insights, a weekly podcast brought to you by Ivy Exec, an elite network of global thought leaders. You can visit us at ivyexec.com and join our growing executive network. In today's episode, we have a pleasure to hear preparing for the future of work, the top five trends to watch in the future of work with our special guest, Evan Zivanakis, certified executive coach, HRDF uh, accredited trainer and leadership consultant. Evan Zivanakis is a business consultant, executive coach, leadership expert, adjunct lecturer at the EU Business School, Geneva, and the author of Leading in the VUCA Times. Uh, with uh, experience uh, working eight, eight, in eight different countries, Evan has a deep understanding of cultural nuance and helps to transform individuals and teams to achieve success. As a university adjunct lecturer in management development, Evan is passionate about sharing his knowledge and helping others reach their full potential. Whether you're looking to improve your leadership skills, enhance team performance, or navigate cross-cultural challenges, Evan has the expertise to guide you to success. His one-on-one coaching sessions are designed to identify your strengths and areas for improvement, creating personalized action plan to help you achieve your goals. In this session, we will discuss the five most important trends in the future of work and how they will affect their professional and personal lives, the rapid pace of technological change and how it's impacting the job market, as well as the skills needed for effective communication and collaboration, and how to build relationships with colleagues and mentors in the new world of work. So welcome to the podcast, Evan. Alexander, thank you for the invitation and very nice to be here. Uh, well, uh, first of all, uh, can we just uh, start with a brief introduction? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your professional experience, and your own career path? Yes, sure, with pleasure. Well, as you said, I actually feel overwhelmed with your introduction. Thank you very much. And um, I'm an executive coach. I am a learning and development specialist. Uh, I'm also a management consultant, and I I teach at the EU Business School, and I'm also an author. I just published my book actually a couple of weeks ago, um, which is Leading in VUCA Times. So what I do, I work with executives, CEOs, department heads, as well as companies, and I help them develop their skills and strategies they need to succeed. For example, if you are a leader, how can I engage, mobilize, and energize my hybrid team. If you're a company, how can I create a high-performing culture? So my background, I I come from a corporate background. I come from a managerial director background. You know, I was an employee. I built up my career. I became manager. I became director. So um, and then I decided to be a coach because if you if you can imagine a quadrant quadrant you know a a page with four windows on the on the top left you've got the captain the coach uh, left hand right hand you know <laughs> left hand is when I started my career as an employee and then I became the right hand the right hand is I became a manager and then I became the captain and then when I was a captain I decided well now I want to tr- I want to coach and train others and share with others, the mistakes I, I did. So then I became a coach. 
So my passion, I think, you know, I love seeing, you know, I, I love helping people, I, I, you know, especially executives and, um, and, uh, and that's my passion. You know, I, in, on a personal note, I was born in Greece, in Greece, and so far I lived and worked in eight different countries. Um, and, um, you know, if I could share one quickly, one experience with you is, um, is uh, <laughs> when I was 18 years old and I had to attend university. Um, uh, it was my move to Switzerland. So this was the first time living away from my family and my home country for long term. So it kind of forced me to step out of my comfort zone and adapt to a new culture. So back then, 20 years ago, it was a challenging experience, but it taught me the value of resilience and the importance of embracing change, which I do believe in the volatile and uncertain world that we now live, being resilient and embracing change are important attributes to help you succeed and be happier both at work and in life back to you yeah i totally agree regarding the embracing change and thank you for that introduction as i said uh it's uh, great to have you on the podcast and uh, so our topic is uh, revolving around uh, future work so let us dive uh, uh, dive deep in it and uh, say, uh, what are the top five trends that you see in the future of work yeah. and uh, why are they important to pay attention to? I think the number one is hybrid work modules, hybrid work. And I think you can resonate to this because you work hybrid, right? You correct, work. Correct. Yeah. So the pandemic has accelerated the trends towards remote work. So now, I think eight out of 10 companies I coach, I would say 80% over the last two years, I see more organizations adapt hybrid work models, which allow employees to split their time between working from home and coming into the office. So I like it. I like that. I think you like that. I think a lot of people like that. For sure. Right? It's a it's a good break, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can good. sleep longer. Yeah, you uh, can do stuff that you wouldn't normally have time when you go to the office and commute. I hate commuting and I lived in big cities, especially in Asia. You know, it's to be in the office that change in places like Mumbai, Jakarta, London. Uh, in big cities, especially you know, in Sydney, if you want to be in the office by nine, you need to wake up at seven, minimum, right? But on a hybrid work, you know, you can wake up at 8.30, 8.45, take a shower, make a coffee, and you're ready to go. So hybrid is one trend that I think is we're not going to go back, it's going to stay, is hybrid and remote work. This can increase flexibility and work-life balance, as you said, but also... On the challenging part, it presents new challenges in terms of communication and collaboration. For example, just before Christmas, I coached a company that implemented a hybrid work model, but struggled with making sure that remote workers, their remote workers, had equal access to information and opportunities as those into the office. 
So, but I think the number one trend that is going to stay is hybrid work model. The second one is to, I see more people and more companies focusing on skills, not on degrees, not on university degrees. Now, I don't say don't get a degree. I mean, a degree is good because you need the theoretical experience sometimes, but as the pace of technology, what I've noticed is that as the pace of technological change continues to accelerate, the traditional method of education and career progression is being disrupted. So I see now that a lot of companies now, they are prioritizing skills and experience over formal education credentials. For example, I know a software development company that no longer requires job applicants to have a computer science degree. But what they are looking instead, coding skills and experience. Now, how do you go about having coding skills and experience? How can you get an internship if you don't have a degree? I understand that. You should have a degree. You should learn something. But then you should back it up with practical experience because this is what matters. Especially in a hybrid and remote work where you don't have a manager or a supervisor next to you all the time. So you really need to think on your feet and take decisions. The third trend um, is the freelance work and the gig economy. You know, the rise of the gig economy and freelance work is changing the way we think about employment and job security, right? Because, uh, I, I mean, uh, the conflict between work and life is a relatively modern invention, right? Um, and you're looking, for example, work-life balance. Okay, yeah, but for the well employed person or the person who has a steady job, work-life balance is more an option between pursuing your career goals and leading a meaningful life. But if you're a single mother with two kids, the concept of work-life work balance is a luxury. That's why, that's one of the reasons that I think over the next few years, and we can see that, um, we're going to see an increase in freelance work, okay? Because the way we think about employment and job security is, is changing. I, mm -hmm. I don't think there is no more job security, and I don't think there is no more loyalty. Probably your parents, Alexander, and my parents, you know, they're just the previous generation. They right. stay in the same company or did the same job all their life. Right, but right. I think loyalty now... It's just a transactional thing. So many workers, many people are choosing to work as freelancers or independent contractors or do something on the side rather than focusing all the time on one company. What if the company goes down? What are you going to be left with? Um, yeah. You know, for example, I coached a freelance executive recently who appreciated the flexibility of working from home, but had to carefully manage her income and benefits. So gig economy and freelance work. And you see it a lot 
I don't know how much you see it in Europe, and I don't see in in Asia you see it more than in Europe. You see a lot of like say Uber drivers, Grab drivers, and people you know doing online sales, eBay, Amazon, and all that. Yeah, the fourth three. Yeah, go it's on, starting, sorry. Uh, no, it's starting also to pick up uh, in Europe as well. We have seen uh, that uh, trend taking over in, well, since the pandemic uh, ended, I mean, uh, the lockdown ended, uh, uh, yes. people realized that uh, uh, more and more time can be used for, as you said, uh, freelancing rather than uh, being uh, at one place you know, for a time, but just to go and maybe be a part-timer at one place and have the ability to take a, an extra gig, sort of say, an extra job and work for uh, many, many, uh, many other tasks or on many other projects at the same time, but not be occupied with one, one, uh, one company, sort of say. Right. It's, yeah, it's happening. Yes, excellent. I think this is a good thing because it makes us think. It makes us develop new skills. Uh, it makes us think on our feet. Um, it's, it, it makes us sometimes feel a little bit un uncomfortable because coming out of your comfort zone. But I yeah. do predict, actually, I do predict over, over the next 20 years, we are going to see the death of the full-time job. It's not going to happen overnight. I think so. And I also, I think, I also, I also think that we're going to see the death of, um, uh, you know, retiring at sixty-five and having a pension. I think mm -hmm. a pension thing is going to be stopped because um, life expectancy is going to go up. People will end up living up to 100, 110, 120 years old because living standards will improve, medicine and health services will improve. So <laughs> there is no government in the world that is going to pay you 50 years to sit down and do right. nothing. Right. right. I think so. The other trend is the mental health. Um, the pandemic has brought mental health to the front front of, to the forefront of public disclosure. And many companies now are prioritizing employee well-being and mental health support. Um, uh, you know, uh, I know uh, another company that is implementing, as we speak, a no-meeting Friday policy. So during Fridays, no meetings, no online meetings, no face-to-face -face meetings, no one-on-one -on -one meetings, no nothing meetings to give employees times to wrap up the week, get organized for next week, and to focus work and to prioritize the well-being and, you know, like, let me wrap up my week, let me finish my tasks so I can be ready for next week. So um, and maybe if you're, a, if you're a, a business owner or a manager and listening to this, what you can do, you can provide access to counseling services, uh, flexible work schedules, and mental health days. And the last trend is automation and AI. It has to come up. I think you're expecting me to, to bring this up, right? Uh, you know, the rise yeah. of automation, you know, chart GTP and all that um, is transforming, is revolutionizing many industries and is to continue to do so in the future. Now, this represents opportunities for increased efficiency and productivity, but it also raises concerns about job displacement and the need for new skills. Um, 
You know, there are, as we speak, companies that, uh, especially manufacturing companies, that are implementing robotics and automation in their assembly line, which allowed for faster production, but also requires their workers to learn new technical skills to keep their job. So do you have a positive and a negative on both right. sides? So the five trends, you know, that I see again is hybrid or remote work, focus on skills, gig economy and freelance, emphasis on well-being and mental health, and automation and AI. Yeah. yeah. And uh, speaking of uh, automation and AI, uh, as you mentioned, a lot of companies are actually bringing in technology instead of uh, sort of say manual labor. Uh, and we know uh, with the rise of uh, chat GPT mm. and with technology evolving so quickly as it is, uh, how do you see the how do you see it impacting the job market in the coming years? It's unavoidable that is going to replace, I don't want to say replace jobs, I want to say replace mm -hmm. tasks. Because right. I had the other day this argument, I said, and I said, you know, because we saw online a robot cleaning a toilet. Maybe you've seen the video, it was all around. It's like a robot. Yeah, yeah, goes yeah. In, yeah. Goes in the toilet, goes into the public road, goes into the bag on the street. And I, and I said, and somebody said, you see, we're going to lose our job. I said, yeah, I said, I understand. And it's difficult because we are in the transition period. But I said, do you really, my argument was like, do you really want to live in a world where another human being cleans toilet for a living? Because I don't. With all the respect, don't get me wrong, right? But you get my point. Right. So we're going to see... A lot of, uh, yeah, some robots will take away a lot of tasks, which might in the future, in the next 20 to 30 years, lead to uh, increased unemployment and underemployment, especially in developing countries. Not developed, developing. And this is where, over the next 30 years, universal basic income will become a norm. Every, I do predict that everyone in the world will receive a salary, will receive an allowance that is going to allow you to put a roof over your head and food on the table. For example, in Greece, in Serbia, it could be $1,000 per month, $1,200. Maybe in Germany, it will be $2,000. So it depends on the living expenses, um, which is a good thing because you're not going to be forced to take any job that comes your way, which means you're going to be a happier human being. Because you get my point, because how many people do, do how many people hate their jobs? Right. Not. Yeah. And it was actually tested in, in India, in Africa, a, a sort of universal basic income where in some small cities with high unemployment, everyone in the village received money where they can have a roof over the head, rent something, and, and, and have enough money to buy food. And crime rate reduced by 75%. I think it was in Ghana. 
So this is how I think it's going to be. Now, going to 2040, in 20 years' time, 25 years' time, this is where I think we're going to go into the abundance era. But we are, over the next 20 years, things I believe are going to be challenging because we're in a transition period. So, and, you know, when talking about future, future of work, you know, mm -hmm. computers and robots stealing away human jobs always come up in the discussion. And I think... It was always the case, but now it's more, uh, you can see it because technology now is moving so fast compared to 20 years ago. Like even 20 years ago, like there are, there are some jobs that don't exist anymore. Like, you know, when you, when, if you took a bus in Europe 20 years ago, it was the driver and the fare collector. Do you remember that? Right. Yeah. Or there are some other jobs or something. And, but it was always the case. But I think now we see it because technology is changing so fast. And um, and I think we're going to see some major changes. I think the future of, I think our work and the way we live and what work, work, work means for us um, is going to change a lot over the next 20 to 30 years. Like, for, for, for example, yeah, like, like look, uh, I, I do believe that the, 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 the concept, the conflict, sorry, the conflict between work and life, life balance, you mentioned life balance because you work from home some days in the office, right? Right. So I think it's a relatively modern invention because it is also a conflict that is debated by upper class middle-class, white-collar workers. Because as I said, if you're a single mother that is working two jobs to provide for your two, three kids, you don't have that luxury to talk about, right? So what I see over the next 20 years, because again, I do say by 2040, things will have changed a lot. I think we're going to see work as totally different as we see it now. But over the next 20 years, the people that need more money, we'll, we, we still have to work more hours to generate extra cash. This is true today and will be in the future. The next thing is job security. What do I mean? Yeah. The average worker, think about it, Alexander, the average worker employed in a job that a machine can easily replace today, tomorrow, in two years time, in a region suffering from high unemployment, or working in the company that is struggling financially, doesn't have much leverage to decline management demands to work longer hours because he or she is scared if he says no, we'll lose the job. Does that make sense, right? Right. So right. I do think that this situation, which is, if you think about it, is already true in much of the developing world's factories. If you go to Bangladesh, India, Malaysia, Philippines, Vietnam, people there work 14, 15 hours per day. And they cannot say no, because for every job you have like 200 people applying. I think this will only grow with time due to the growing use of robots and computers, because people will be scared to lose their job. Right? And so, 
And, and, and I think, as I said, over the next 20 to 30, 10 to 20 years, things will be a bit challenging because we are in, the tra in, in a transition period. Right. And yeah. uh, speaking, I uh, just wanted to intersect there uh, for a second. Uh, we mentioned, we touched upon actually uh, working from home, work-life balance, and longer hours. Uh, what are your thoughts on this uh, sort of new trend, if we can call it, of uh, four-day working week? Look. I don't think this will stay. I mean, again, you see it on LinkedIn. And right, mainly you see it on LinkedIn, right? Right. But did you go around the council council estates in the UK? Did you go around to walk to 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 talk to people from a from from the you know, a uh, lower class. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the four, it, it's a good thing if you have, if you have, like it's good for me, it's good for you. It's good for admin, it's good for managerial positions, it's good right. for office workers, government employees, but there's millions of factory workers out there pilots, air crew. I mean, they don't have the luxury to request it and they don't have it. So, uh, so yeah, it's a good thing, but not for all. It's a good thing for a certain amount of people. This is what I can say. Certainly. I, I can certainly agree. And uh, moving uh, on with our uh, discussion, uh, we mentioned, uh, I mean, you mentioned uh, in the trends uh, now uh, companies uh, focusing more on skills uh, and yeah. not degrees. What skills do you think will be most important for professionals to have in order to succeed in the new world of work and why? Yeah. yeah. Like just final thought on the four-day work week because it's a really hot topic. Again, it applies for certain people, you know, for office admin and all that. But you know, you know, summer is coming in summer. The summer season is coming up soon in, right. soon in Europe, Serbia, Greece, Spain, Italy, Portugal, Turkey, Egypt. There are going to be employees there. There are going to be people there that they are going to work seven days a week, six months, 12 hours a day to support their families because right. during winter, they don't have any work at all. So let's put things a little bit into perspective. There are people out there that are going to do this. And I think you're familiar with this because I think yeah. it's happening in Serbia during summer. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And, uh, I know I've been to Greece a number of times, uh, Spain, Italy, and uh, I'm really familiar with the concept of people, not just uh, from those countries, but people, people from other countries coming during the yes. uh, summer season to work there, as you said, uh, seven days a week, 12 hours a day to support their families as 
especially uh, those uh, tourist countries, uh, those seaside countries that don't see uh, don't see uh, as much as uh, cash flow, uh, sort of say during those cold cold uh, cold months. Especially especially Greece, as we know, is country uh, comprised of uh, many many islands that that only have those uh, couple of months of income every year. Of course, it's uh, the tourism industry is the biggest uh, income generator for the country. And the same right. thing actually is happening in the winter. If you go to Switzerland, if you go to Austria, if you go up to ski in all those resorts, uh, right, the right. same people that maybe you, uh, you see the same sometimes faces, you may see the same waiter that served you a cocktail by the beach on a Greek island in the summer, serving you a coffee, during winter, and again, they do the same thing, and, and they work six, seven days per week. So with the skill that you mentioned, I believe that people can plan their careers to hedge their bets against being replaced by automation and robots by focusing on developing skills and comp competencies that are difficult for machines to replicate. For example, creativity emotional intelligence, critical thinking, problem solving. Actually, these four things are very popular subjects to me as a trainer lately. Mm -hmm. Clients, people are asking for this. Now, another thing is maybe to develop a specialization that requires a high degree of expertise or knowledge. For example, Pursuing, pursuing advanced degrees or certifications in a specific field or developing a deep understanding of a particular subject area through work experience or self-study that the machine cannot do, right? Another important strategy is to focus on developing skills how to say this, that are complementary to automation and AI. Mm -hmm. Complementary. For example, learning how to work with or program different kinds of technologies or developing skills in fields that are likely to be in high demand as a result of, auto of automation. For example, data analysis, cybersecurity, robotics right. maybe maybe learning how to uh, service or maintain robots i don't know i'm not an it guy i'm just you know giving some ideas here another is to be adaptable and open to learn new skills throughout your career because you see i, I touched us before like my, my my father was in the same job throughout his life and the, the, the generation just before us, I think you're a little bit younger than me, but just before us, it's the norm. They stay right. in the, the same company or they did the same job for all their life. Like they had a supermarket or they worked somewhere or like a town shop or something. For us, it could be different. Maybe 10 years I do this, 10, another 10 years I do something else, another 10 years I do something else. So as new technologies emerge, and the job market evolves, it is very important, I think, 
in our mind to accept it, first of all, and be adaptable and open to learn new skills and to stay relevant and to stay competitive. Right. right. So it's a, first of all, it's a, I think it's a mindset thing. Um, I have a book that I'm reading currently from Marshall Goldsmith. He's 75 now years old. He's the world's most renowned executive coach. Mm -hmm. And the book, the book's title is what got you here will not get you there. And the audience is managers and leaders. Basically says that the skills that we used 10 years ago to manage people are not relevant anymore. Well, maybe we all need to have the same mindset that what got us here in terms of our career maybe will not get us there in the next five to 10 years. So we need to stay open-minded, we need to stay relevant, and we need to stay competitive. Right, right. I totally agree. And uh, uh, just to continue the talk about skills, uh, as uh, we mentioned, circling back to the first question and the first trend, the hybrid and remote work, uh, you uh, uh, said uh, problem, uh, you mentioned problem thinking, you problem solving, communicating, and uh, those communication and collaboration skills we can see are a little bit uh, tricky to uh, develop uh, in the remote work environment. So how can professionals develop those effective communication and collaboration skills uh, by working remotely? Yeah, look, the, the how, okay. Um, The change, look, the changes, okay, remotely, it means if you work remotely, probably you're working for a company. So let's look at it from, in order to help the employee, let me look at it a little bit and analyze it from the employer point of view. So mm -hmm. the changes that will be most difficult for employers to accept, to the, for, for companies, for managers, for employers to accept, are those that challenge traditional power structures and hierarchies in the workplace. So as we move towards more flexible, autonomous and decentralized models of work, mm -hmm. some, some managers, some bosses, some employers may struggle to relinquish control and adapt to new ways of working. Okay? Right. So it is their responsibility to train their people. And this is obviously people like me come in. You know, you cannot accept, you cannot expect and accept a person, your employee, to learn how to work remotely if you don't provide some training, how right. to communicate, what are the expectations. And, you know, and first of all, if you have hybrid and remote workers, you need to create a remote or a hybrid kind of set of rules and policies, what you right. expect from them and what do they expect from you. So on the other hand, I think that the changes that will be most difficult for employees to accept are those that challenge traditional 
notions of job security and stability. Right. So, uh, overall, I believe that both employers and employees will need to be open-minded and adaptable in order to navigate the changing world of work. So, it is your company's responsibility to train you. For example, one, one uh, very popular uh, course I currently run, Diversity and Inclusion. Is a 16 hours online course. And in that course, diversity and inclusion, I demand the managers of the company and the employees mm. to participate. Mm. Emotional intelligence, communication, right. body language, online body language, how to sell, how to, to, to sell and market virtually. So we all need at, at some point, you know. It's a time for everyone, I suppose, and I would like to invite everyone who is listening to this to learn new skills. Because if you are an employee, if you are a manager, if you are a, an entrepreneur, a business owner, you know, a small restaurant owner, a coffee shop owner, you know, um, a technology company owner, we need to be relevant and we need to be competitive both from employer and employee point of view. Um, so, you know, the move though, I think that the move towards a more collaborative and team-based approach to work, it will be challenging for the, from the beginning for both companies and employees. So we really need to, you know, from a company point of view to invest in training, and from an employee point of view, please don't think that this is, you know, I know it all. Or, uh, you know, the, 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 the saying, this is how we always done it. We cannot afford to say this anymore. Right. Right. And uh, speaking, I just wanted to touch upon the... Uh, overwhelming topic that has been going on since November last year. We spoke about it a little bit, but I just wanted to reflect on it. And that's uh, job security. Uh, with, uh, let's say with so much uncertainty surrounding the future of work, we've seen a bunch of those uh, uh, able to work, uh, want to work uh, posts uh, on social media. Uh, a lot of people are now uh, putting on their profiles on LinkedIn, unfortunately, those open to work uh, badges. With so much uncertainty surrounding the future of work, uh, what advice do you have for professionals who are looking to prepare themselves for what's to come? You know, the most challenging thing is to accept, you know, change is difficult. Yeah. And everything happened really fast since 2020 and 2022, you know, since today, like in two years' time. If this yeah. didn't happen, can you, you know, we, we, if you think about it, we shut the world down in March 2020. If you remember, yeah. actually exactly two, three years ago, at this time in March, I think most of the countries were in lockdown, just like in the flick of an eye, you know? 
Right, right. So if this was planned, if, you know, the government say, guys, if there was no COVID, say, guys, we're going to move everything, hybrid, remote, probably the whole planning we have taken, I don't know, five years, but we did it in like five days. Yeah. So it, it, it's difficult. You know, my, my advice is, first of all, to, to be adaptable, to, to have that flexibility. And I'm optimistic, you know, my greatest source of optimism about the future of work and our life is the incredible resilience and adaptability of human beings. So throughout history, throughout history, we have faced many challenges, right? And have always found ways to overcome them and emerge stronger and more innovative. So I believe that the current period of challenges, disruption in the world of work presents us with an opportunity to rethink and reimagine how we work, how we live, and to create a more equitable and sustainable system that benefits everyone. Like really commuting every day, two hours, to be sat in front of a computer and do exactly the same thing that you do at home is not healthy. <laughs> yeah. You agree, right? Uh, I must agree. I must agree on that. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, I think hybrid is ideal. I think three days in the office, no, three at home, two in the office, two at home, three, like three and two, it's ideal. Maybe two in the office is enough. And really, if we really put our head down and we work eight hours a day, I think we can achieve a lot. The problem is, do we or do we like? doing other things so but i'm optimistic you know um with advances in technology we have you know we have the potential to create new and exciting jobs that were previously unimaginable and to leverage these technologies to solve some of the world's most pressing challenges right additionally I believe that there is a growing awareness among individuals, people like me and you, businesses and governments of the need to create a more equitable and sustainable economy. You know, the model of I go to uni, I take a loan to graduate, I get a job. Once I get a job, I get a loan to buy a house while at the same time I'm still paying my student loan. Right. Uh, I mean, it doesn't, and then I buy a house on the outskirts of my town and every day I commute to work. This model doesn't work anymore. Right. So right. we really need to create a more sustainable economy and the shift, what is the most difficult, what is the most difficult thing? The shift in mindset. So, but we need to have that mindset and coupled, you know, with new technological advances has the potential, we have the potential to create a more fair and more equitable world of work where everyone has the opportunity to to thrive 
and really do the things we want to do. Seven out of 10 people hate their job. This is why UBI will solve the problem. Universal basic income will come and you will see it in the next 20 years. So overall, I do believe the challenges, while the challenges facing the world of work are significant, having to adapt, having to learn new skills uh, is not easy. I remain optimistic about our ability to overcome them and create a more just, a more fair, and more sustainable economy, sustainable future for all. Great. Uh, yeah, I I must say I agree with, uh, I agree totally with that. And uh, I really hope that uh, what you mentioned uh, will come to fruition at some point. And speaking of the future, uh, let's say as uh, the last question before moving to final thoughts, uh, what do you think the future work will look like in five to 10 years? Uh, so we mentioned uh, uh, previous generations uh, uh, stepping into one company and being there until their retirement, but uh, the upcoming, the current generation, the upcoming generations uh, for them, what do you think the future work will look like in, let's say, 10 years to 15 years? And how can professionals best prepare for it now? It's up to, you know, I mean, we cannot really answer what it's going to look like. I'm just going right. to share what I think. Of course, obviously, otherwise, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think. We're going to see an Uberization, if I can use this word, Uberization, mm -hmm. you know, Uber, Grab, Uber, and Uberization of the labor market. So what do I mean? Let's say if you work in retail or manufacturing or um, like uh, food and beverage industry, you know, the hospitality industry, or any other labor intensive industry, you are probably familiar with the standard practice of hiring a large enough labor pool to cover production spikes. Like in the, you know, in Greece, in Serbia, and all the tourist countries, a lot mm -hmm. of hotels, they hire a lot of people during summer to cover July, August, right? Right. Now, this ensured that companies always had enough employees to cover large uh, production orders or handle peak seasons. However, during the rest of the year, these companies found, found themselves overstaffed and paying for unproductive labor. So we're going to see on-demand work, or you can call it on-call staffing, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just like Uber. When you need it, you call it. So this concept is similar to the one I used with the, the innovative taxi company, Uber, right? Uber. Right. Is, is, it, is it popular in Serbia? Do you have Uber? Well, we have some... Something similar, else, right? Yeah, something yes. else, but totally different, uh, totally same but, concept. But, but you understand how it works. You, right. you, it's, on de it's on demand. Obviously, the demand at 10 a.m. in the morning, it's much higher than the demand at 3 at night, correct? Yes. On the work days, yeah. 
on their work day. Yeah, weekend is the opposite. So, so, so Uber, using its algorithm, analyzes public taxi demand and assigns drivers to pick up riders and then charges rides, riders a premium mm-hmm. if it's peak time and so on and so forth. So maybe we're going to see something like a staffing algorithm. Likewise, they will analyze historical sales patterns and weather forecasts and advanced algorithms will predict the exact amount of labor needed at any given time. Right. So another thing we're going to see as we, you know, the, as we discussed, I think is the rise of the flexible economy. Mm-hmm. So for, for, from a business perspective, this is what I described above on demand. Let's say I have a peak season, I hire 10 people. Off mm-hmm. peak, I hire three. Why shall I hire 10 and keep them all year long? So right. from a business perspective, this makes total sense. But it's challenging for people. So, you know. Yeah, the constant uncertainties. It costs uncertainty and it costs, you know. So for the... Look, for people that, for you know, for the underemployed and for those <laughs> currently looking for work, this probably, what I just said, was not the most uplifting thing. Right. Right. But we, it's, it's time that we need to adapt. We need to adjust as well. Um, it's not like, it's not like before. I think the, the great public sector I think in in a lot of the Balkan countries is similar. Like in the, in the Greek public sector, up up to not now, but up to like ten years ago, if you got a job at the Greek public sector working for the government, whatever government was in place, you know, government say. But if you work for the public sector, you knew that you could you could never be fired, right? Right. It's the same, right? In your country, I suppose. Right. 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 Unless you do something really bad and you get caught or something. Yeah. So this is going to this is going to change a lot. This is going to change a lot. Perfect. In both public and private. So uh, uh, yes, it, it, it's true. A lot of robots will eventually make a lot of jobs obsolete. But that doesn't really mean that the end that the world's end is near, you know. Um we're going to see, I think, over the next 20 years, mass unemployment. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is why universal basic income will come in. And actually, during COVID, and even now, a lot of governments, they are using sort of universal basic income. I'm not sure, but in, but a lot of governments now, they are giving allowances to their people, right? Like, I know in a lot of countries in Europe, they gave heating allowance because fuel was really expensive. They give you gas allowance. They give you food allowance, supermarket allowance and all that, right? Yeah, and not just in uh, Europe. Uh, We've seen the same same principle happen in, for example, UAE, 
United Arab Emirates. Is where, it really? Yeah, yeah, where people during the uh, you know uh, crisis times uh, have been given the allowance. Uh, the locals uh, have been given allowance for those uncertainties, for uh, fuel, for you know rent if needed for food as well. So yeah, your commodities basically, right, your commodities right. to eat, to heat. Yes, yes. It happened in, in a lot of European countries over the winter. And um, so, so if you look at it from a political point of view, it's quite interesting because it's it we are using a social method to keep capitalism mm -hmm. alive. Right. Right. And normally all these allowances are used in non-capitalist country like Russia or whatever, you know, in communist countries, in countries where it's a different thing. So, but we're going to see it now. We're gonna, you know, like, I, I, I remember last year in some of the European countries, they were giving holiday allowances. Like, they will give you, like, a voucher to go on holidays, like, of three, four hundred euro extra. This is something that communist countries used to do like in Romania with Ceausescu and before that, right? Right. So we are going, we are going back to this. So we are using social methods to keep capitalism and the economy alive. If you think about it. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting thought must say. Okay. And, uh, okay. We are at that time, uh, Thank you so much, Evan. Do you have any any thoughts, uh, any final thoughts for our listeners today? It's challenging for everyone. I think COVID, lockdowns, AIs, um, all that is happening really fast. So what I want to say as a fellow human to human now is uh, it's challenging, uh, but we still have time to retrain. We still have time to learn new skills. And, you know, maybe even if you're 50, 60 years old, you know, why not if you still have another 30, 40 years to live? Maybe this is now the time, the chance for you to do what you always wanted to do, but you never had the opportunity to do so. Right. Because right. what's the positive out of this? And I want to close with the positive because I'm optimistic. You can now, with the rise of technology, you can mm -hmm. get a degree, you can study something, you can learn something now from the comfort of your home, from a any university in the world, because most of them provide online degrees now, right. at, a at a fragment of a cost. You can get a bachelor nowadays for $2,000 and you can pay in installments. You don't have to move to the country. You don't need to rent anything. So education, this is, this is a positive I want to close with. Educational fees will be reduced and it will become become like as cheap as to nothing to allow people to retrain and to educate themselves. You can go on LinkedIn. You can go on so many online universities now and you can get a certificate. You can learn a degree. You can study two, three hours per day. And then you can get that degree. You can get that knowledge, 
going to a company and say, look, I don't have job experience in that. I don't have experience in that field. I come from a different field. It doesn't matter. This is a certificate. Give me six months, at least internship. Then get that internship and turn it into a full-time job or part-time job. Why? Because education, this is the positive thing. I do predict, and I think we see education is becoming cheaper and more affordable. It's true, right? You can go to get a degree now out of nothing, and you don't have right. to move to another country. You just do it from your home. Yeah, right. You can study from actually from from you can study in you you can get a degree from a university in New Zealand, top universities from your uh, bedroom in Serbia, or in Germany, or in India. Right. Right. For well, for ten percent for ten percent of the cost that it used to be. That's the positive. So this is my tip. Have a look online. Retrain yourself. If you want to reach out for some more advice, please reach out to me on LinkedIn, Evan Givanakis. I'm quite active. You can find me there. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Evan, uh, for uh, doing this with me today, talking with uh, our audience, with our listeners. Uh, so, as I said, if you'd like to uh, learn more about uh, his career coaching, go to LinkedIn, just uh, search for Evan Zivanakis, uh, P-Z-I-B-A-N-I-K-I-S. Uh, this was Alexander with IBS Exec. You can follow us on all of your favorite podcast platforms, just type IBEXEC Insights. And I will be speaking with you next time. Take care, everybody. Bye.